and welcome to another episode of the Podcast Surprise. Super excited to be here with you today. Today we are back to discuss Season 3, Episode 1, Part 1 of Season 3 of The Witcher. And I'm super excited to be here with my podcast mates. It's been a while, but we're back and we're excited to talk about Season 3. So yeah, Mika Alipa, Meep, and Hel- Hanazis, and Kyle of it. All You all know that we have to have some funny names based off the characters of our story. And yeah, let's just uh, get right into it. How's everyone doing? All right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> Mikau. <laughs> I like that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Mikau is okay. <laughs> Aziz? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thumbs up. Thumbs yeah, up. Yeah, it's, uh, it is fun to be back in the Witcherverse, which it's fun to call it that now that there's, you know, like rumors and theories that they're going to make it kind of more of a Witcher-verse thing. I mean, we've already got these dimensions and different programs and games and everything. So, hey, why not make that less meta and more directly a part of the story? But we're getting ahead of ourselves. The, the WCU, the Witcher Cinematic Universe, they're calling it? <laughs> <laughs> the, the Wick, the, yeah, I'm, so just turn that M upside yeah. down, right? And there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So yeah, today, uh, obviously, season three has two parts, uh, five episodes today. We're going to dive into the first episode and uh, yeah, we're going to we're going to get into reviews for all the episodes. And um, this one was uh, pretty interesting diving back into the Witcher universe. I guess we'll uh, start with some reactions about how we feel about it. And then we'll get into kind of the nitty gritty talking about the characters development, uh, the plot, um, you know, the mystical things that we love to talk about in the Witcher universe, maybe some herb lore. They did have some interesting stuff in the first scene. Uh, uh, <laughs> and uh, we'll g- get down to the nitty gritty um, for uh, all the stuff that you expect from the podcast surprise. So yeah, what was what was the reaction overall uh, of the first episode for you, oh, Mikael? You know, it's fun to be back. It wasn't something that I like. It, I didn't leap out at me as like, oh yay, you know, this is amazing. But like, it's you know, it's definitely The Witcher. You get you know the I think the vibes are, are pretty much the same. Very interesting to see Yennefer as like less of a ball of spikes or like retracting her ball of spikes and uh yeah very fun to see the kind of the domesticity you know i think that's something that like if it had been in the book fans would have been going crazy you know like the chance to see that that level of kind of contentment between the two of them but um yeah i mean it's you know it's fun they definitely start with some intrigue um as far as yaskir goes and I will admit, Siri's kind of getting on my nerves, but, you know. <laughs> She's just a teen, Mikael. She's growing up, man. She's such a teen. <laughs> yeah, not quite the same as a precocious little girl. That is, there's a, there's a big difference there somehow, even though it doesn't seem that different. But, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I think overall I liked the season. Episode one, maybe not my favorite of them, but I under, you know, they they were addressing some of the narrative choices they made in season two and sort of getting themselves on a different path here or 
having the characters move past their actions, I guess, is a pretty straightforward way to put it, to put it given, you know, a lot of it is Yennefer getting forgiveness and them learning to trust her. And, you know, her, her putting herself in harm's way once or twice is a pretty good way to show that she's sincere and spending all that time coaching Siri and gen- having a genuine attraction between her and Geralt. Like, you can't fake that. So it makes sense that they would get back together, and we knew they would. Uh, and and they did, like you said, McCall, the, the mealtime thing, the domesticity, it feels appropriate, not just for these characters and the direction they've been headed in, but that's a Witcher a book's vibe thing to have mealtime and have it be meaningful. And it's something that is in the book equivalent of these scenes if we're mashing together the ambush right bef- scene, which happens in the books. There's a really nice mealtime scene with Siri and the dwarves, which we don't get here. Instead, we get this, which is pretty different, but it's still, ha- you know, it's still part of that recurring theme of mealtimes, which is a, an important time for people to talk and have community and hash things out and have a good time. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a recurring theme in the book. So I like seeing it here, even though it's pretty different, which is something as long as they're eating fish, it has to be fish. (laughs) It has to be fish. Right. Yeah. Which is something they do off and on in the, in the show here. There's a concept that I was introduced to. and I really wish I had written down who it was that I saw this from because it's pretty insightful. Oh, well, the idea is that there's a di- distinction to be made between a faithful adaptation and a loving adaptation. And a faithful adaptation is when they try really hard to stick to the source material. And loving adaptation is when they clearly are into it because they know so many of these little details that you wouldn't know unless you really were into it. Uh, but you don't necessarily love it enough to do it the same or you have to change it for other reasons. Like if it was a re- relationship, it'd be like you can love someone and cheat on them. Maybe I mean, your partner may not agree, but you can, in your mind, you can think that, right? Like, that's a thing that people think. It, it, it's debatable whether that's really uh, a de- fits under the umbrella of love if you're cheating. But whatever. That's not the point. This, is a, this isn't an actual human relationship. We're talking about an adaptation. A witch, a witch and a wizard. Or sorry, I say a sorceress and a wizard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right? <laughs> this is more of a loving adaptation than a faithful one, right? So, And that's kind of appropriate given to the meta of what Yennefer has done in, in this first episode where they're trying to undo the, that harm. So this is them getting on a new path and reestablishing themselves. But it's also the show saying, look, this is season three. We've been doing this for three seasons now. You should you should know what to expect by now. They're doing a vibe check in episode one is what they're doing. They're saying, here's the vibes of the season. Yeah, like, yeah. If we're not used to the the style, and I think it, of this particular way that they adapt the books, then yeah, you're just going to continuously be frustrated, and that's that's valid. But I think it's consistent now. Like the way it's been doing it, it has it it has a lot of Easter eggs. It has a lot of nods and references to the book. A lot of times they're very just surface level, though, and that's fair to to not be in love with that. But I, I like it. You know, it's, it, it works enough for me. I, overall, I, I, you know, at this point when we're recording, we've done just this, the first five episodes are out. So for all I know, I'll hate the last three. It's unlikely though. You know, I mean, I'm still doing this after Blood Origins. So <laughs> 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 we're all still know. here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, even that is, even Blood Origin is slightly better in retrospect now that they've tied a few things to it. It doesn't make it good, but it's, they, they attach, you know, they, they connect, there's some connective tissue between it and this, like the Song of the Seven, 
that's the same song that's like lasted a thousand years, which is kind of cool. You know, or I guess it's because Yaskier was added to the framing part of Blood Origin. I told you that was going to be in this. You were right. Yeah, you're right. It made a lot of sense. Like, of course he's going to have these songs. Why would he not? He's he. How could he resist not he's not going into his catalog? You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So anyway, I, yeah, it has its strengths, its weaknesses, and you know we'll probably focus more on the strengths with, even though we'll definitely drop in some criticisms because, of course, we will. But. Yeah, we just don't want to be just all negative, and we want to actually give some analysis and wh- why why things are written the yeah. way they are, and why characters are making the decisions that they make. And it's k- kind of I want to play off that a little bit, and that each season has a thread line, like a you know like a main theme, and then there's all of these other themes that kind of tie in with the main thread. You know, in the first season, you know, we were, we were getting to know kind of people's origin stories, and people were getting to meet each other. And then in season two, you know, they got together and they understood that they're all important to each other, but they really didn't mesh well their personalities. And you know, like Geralt is getting to know Siri, and then there's this kind of dis- you know disconnected Kara Morton, Siri's training, and now they're back together, and it's like got to remember. Um, that there's going to be some healing and some change. And The Witcher is a story about destiny, but it's also a cyclical story and how things change and and how characters change and how your viewpoint of the world changes, certainly for Geralt. That's going to be a big thing. And, and Ciri learning about the world as well and Yennefer learning about how, how, how to, um, you know, change but also be herself and express herself so i think it's a really interesting way to you know look at episode one in that they're setting the vibes right away and this is like hey like this is your trio this is the trio we're finally going to be starting to grow out these characters into the bigger parts of the story and i mean big because season three is going to have some big moments without spoiling anything and uh yeah and i think this personally for me this is where i get most excited about the witcher and my favorite parts of the story really start to take off so getting to see them together having a little mealtime getting those kind of moments where they you know you really start to feel like oh they they really do love each other is you know kind of the bigger overarching theme through all of the seasons getting those kind of crumbs at the start of episode one is kind of a really good way to start it off i think so yeah uh, episode one sherwood aziz one of your favorite things (laughs) you know i love the flowers (laughs) Yeah, I like the story. The you know, it's it's the the fun aspect of having something semi permanent that creates a a way for the lore to be carried forward. You know, you have the roses amidst the ruined palace that has it's an element of life that remains uh, amidst this stone um, edifice that the elves apparently destroyed themselves rather than let the humans have. And it also gets to set the stage for uh, one of the most recurring themes of the early parts of the story. Uh, the, the concept of neutrality keeps coming back. And yeah, they have that great conversation in front of it. And it's both poignant and funny, which is a recurring, also a recurring theme. That's a very much a, a something that uh, Sapkowski has made his indelible mark on, which I'm glad that they uh, have made a lot of use of (laughs) so we could possibly all die but like let's laugh now (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) and the the flower aspect has been used a lot just throughout the the show in general and of course and the books but you know we talk about that separately in our book coverage you know francesca has her own flower uh connection and 
So does uh, doesn't someone else? I'm forgetting. There's a, there's a couple of characters that have have you know their stories wrapped up into um, th- things to do with uh, flowers or or certain herbs uh, or certain smells, right? <laughs> Let's not forget <laughs> that one. And I, I I like that they do their own version of it in the show because you can't do all of it the exact same, you know. And uh, keeping that vibe is cool. So we got like little pieces. Um, they they really started to build out the Francesca stuff, obviously with uh, you know her being a leader, and then um, they're they're them you know kind of allying themselves with themselves with Nilfgaard, which is um, something for you to debate whether you think that's a good idea or not a bad idea. And I ultimately think that we'll, we'll see the results of that um, going forward. Mm-hmm. But that's that 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 is something that kind of plays into the L storyline. You know, they 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 got destroyed in war, and now they're entering another war, and we're seeing this kingdom Nilfgaard, which is the central. We can call them the big bad, but they are the central antagonist, really encroaching upon all of these other nations. And the elves, you know, there's not many of them left, and they're kind of just fighting for their survival right now. They're just fighting to exist, and that's kind of um, you know this the 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 struggle of power that we're that we're seeing early on in season one. That's uh, kind of what they're trying to focus on. Yeah, it's it's kind of neat in one way. It's almost a little petty, but that's kind of the point that they've fallen yeah. so far that they're fighting over like scraps of food amidst you know amongst each other and basically minor logistical concerns. That's yeah, you're not you you don't come off as a dangerous enemy when you have that going on, and that's part of why they're mad because they recognize that themselves. They're like, we really are. <laughs> we need to get our get our act together. Like I, I wouldn't try to really usurp you from the podcast if you didn't try to feed me. But they're in a more <laughs> dire situation here. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's why they take big risks. You know, Francesca thinks that Siri is their their chance, and Gallatin thinks that Nilfgaard is their chance. These are both thin hopes. Let's be honest. So neither of them are are you know reaching for something that has a lot of promise. So it's it's easy for t- almost not easy but kind of you can tell why the elves them the individual rank and file elves might not be sure who to follow and that it just comes down to the personalities of their leaders because the actual goals are very hazy and uncertain. Uh so I think that's maybe why Francesca comes back around and kind of maybe realizes that it's like look we our only chance is to work together and of course when she says that she's kind of she is kind of being a little dishonest. She is kind of trying to just get him to go along with this thing because <laughs> she doesn't, as we find out during the fight, she didn't tell him everything. And Gallatin's like, hey, wait, <laughs> you, uh. but Francesca, on the other hand, already knows, like she's already worked with Nilfgaard. She yeah. already knows it's like, this. Not, that's not going to work either without being strong. Like Nilfgaard won't give them anything unless they can, Unless they're strong enough to to carve out their seat at the table, uh, if not, they get squashed like like everybody else. Galton does bring up an interesting point in that you know politics aren't a good thing always. Yeah, and we you know Sapkowski obviously likes to play on weird real world tropes. He you know uh, experienced a lot in his life in Poland um, growing up, so uh, you know he tries to kind of play into some of those things that are going on here. But also at the same time, they kind of it's like. What do we do here? You know what I mean? It's like, do do we follow the leader who is going to lead us and kill people in war? Or are we going to continue to listen to the politicians who might not be as savvy and be able to fight and are calling us to do the shots about things? And we don't have that much food. So all these situations are making these kind of 
start conflict when you're, you know, dealing with superpowers. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. (laughs) I I, I think a lot of this kind of comes from like, almost like the idea of time of contempt reaching back into season two, because like the, the death of Francesca's baby or the murder of Francesca's baby. And then her, her actions where she, you know, killed a bunch of infants. Um, like that is very, to me, emblematic of like, of this idea that like everybody's down in the mud and, like everything you do turns into like the fruit of the poison tree and everything you're fighting for turns out to be kind of stained with that. Um, and I feel like, I feel like that's a little bit part of the desperation in, in from her perspective, like, because there's, she has no moral high ground anymore. You know, she is kind of just another, another animal kind of in this cage on the continent that's fighting. And like the only person who's above it really, and not above it morally, but above it, like in a controlling sense is, uh, Amir and the emperor. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very painful that nobody can recognize that, or at least they can't recognize it in the way that would lead them to getting out of the situation. The thing that I think is so important about this too is that you know some people were like, well, I don't like the L storyline that much. It doesn't interest me that much, but it goes really to the core of what Geralt is trying to teach Siri. He's like, I'm staying out of it. Like, look at how people change during war. Like, you know, money, power, war. All of these things change people into it. I mean, I mean, look at what happened with Francesca. She lost her baby, and then she killed a bunch of babies. Right? Like, there's. These reactions to all of these things that are going on, and that's why Geralt is like, listen, we need to be really prepared. I need to teach you about all these things before we make any decisions to get into this, because this is these are the kind of things that can happen. And that's why I think it's so important that we had that conversation right there between Geralt and Siri and all of them. Like, listen, this is what happened. Like, th- th- this is a bad thing, and it might happen again. Like. We 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 don't really. What, there's three of us. What are we going to do about it? You know what I mean. And I think that that's super powerful. Yeah, that's true. And it's it's really making really leaning into that more. And I guess that's something that will be of consequence down the line because, of course, there's a lot of story left, and you know they won't be able to stick together the whole time. So yeah, they're they're making sure that's emphasized early on. I guess it's kind of ironic too that. Francesca would have an awfully good argument against Gallatin wanting to work with Nilfgaard if she could, if she knew and could prove that M here killed the baby. <laughs> it's like, dude, you're working with the guy that literally killed my child, but she doesn't know that either. So, hmm. however, I guess they uh, at least later in the season maybe there's an, a vehicle for for that maybe to become information she learns, which would be uh, interesting. We'll see. <laughs> And we start to learn much more about Amir and how calculating he is and how intelligent he is. And Yeah, know, and they're trying to give so. him a little more, I don't know, pathos isn't the right word, but there's that odd scene at the end where he's burning paintings, right? He burns a painting of Pavetta, he burns a painting of, I guess, his father, but not Siri, who he kind of, you know, clutches. And yeah, that was that was interesting. What did you think of that scene, McCall? You know, it wasn't quite as subtle as I, think <laughs> yeah, I would yeah. have maybe hoped. <laughs> but you know, I mean, it. First of all, it's good to see more of Emir. I think it's it's satisfying to see him in the light that we know him, and that the show now knows that we know him. Um, like just to kind of 
brush away any pretense there. I don't really get if they were like, he's he's turning a path, he's realized he's doing wrong, he's turning away, but then realizes that Siri is worth it, or if it was more like a, you know, I'm just burning the connections to my past and will go ahead into the future as like Emperor Amir, and then I can't do that because of Siri. Um, I guess I guess for not being subtle, it was also confusing. Well, he took out a lot of people that weren't loyal to him, and pretty much everyone is loyal to him now. <laughs> they won't say shit to him, right? So I think that that's a yeah, kind of yeah, smart yeah. way to look at it. Yeah, well, there's a really interesting scene in, in episode two that kind of plays on that. Um, but like, yeah, I... I, I don't know. I mean, he's he's an interesting character to me, so I'm kind of happy to see him whenever he's there because it's like we just don't get mm-hmm. that in the books and to, to have that um, opportunity. Um, but, yeah, it did seem a little bit like maybe there was like a note like, we don't understand what's going on with the Emperor. So they were like, all right, what if he looked at paintings and then burned most of them? <laughs> I, I, I do I do think it's good they are bringing him forward though like if we would have got like for example that reveal at the end of season three I think that would have been a little bit of too long of a wait because you know in, in books it's a little bit different you know we can read into foreshadowings and we're creating this you know kind of image of what's going on within ourselves when we're reading it but I think it's you know for a TV adaptation to to bring one of the big antagonists of the story forward and get to kind of know him a little bit more and dislike him <laughs> hopefully um is important i think but but also to anchor him to our our main trio specifically yeah and that he's connected them in a very big way <laughs> so let's see the let's talk about uh redania briefly there it's not too much of them to get started just it kind of kicks them off and there's a lot more of them later in the season obviously but it's a great start to them uh philippa and and uh dijkstra are have a great chemistry i think the actors are really good together and you know there's some obviously some changes here from the books but at this point just in episode one it's not terribly substantial i do like the idea of having jaskier lean on them to go after Rance as a, a condition, which makes sense. It's the kind of thing they should be capable of maybe being able to do. And it, it, it enables the different plot lines to entangle each other in another way, uh, in addition to the, the way they're kind of coming together for other reasons. So I thought that was pretty cool. And um, in general, I think it's one of the uh, more promising parts of the storyline, in, in part because of the the strength of the characters that are the actors rather that are playing the characters. Graham McTavish is so good, man. He is killing kill Yeah. Him. And, and this aged up rat of it is pretty good too. I mean, we'll see what they do with it in the long term, but I like the actor and I liked, I thought it was clever that he gets, uh, Jaskier to talk based on, his friendship with Geralt. It's like a clever way to get information out of him. Uh, you know, like being like, Ooh, tell me about this and that, you know, and the one thing that he can't help himself cause he's a musician. And of course he loves Geralt. So that comes out in the lyrics. So I thought that was pretty cool. That was, that was, um, and Phil, that's how Philippa kind of figures it out too. Like, Oh, he's, 
you're not too, uh, you're actually kind of smart, aren't you? <laughs> Do you want to talk about the big change in his character instead of being a son? He's a brother. To kind of talk about that, a big change from the books. Yeah, that's a pretty substantial change. I mean, I don't know that it's going to have a big narrative consequences because obviously in the book, he's, it's more of just Sapkowski having fun setting up a, a character that for the future, just for world building, I guess, because he, everything that Radovid thinks is is interesting and and neat, but it doesn't have it doesn't connect to anything else. It's just like a, a fun little aside that he does, and I like that. Um, I know that a lot of people don't like that in in terms of how it's just so kind of random and doesn't connect to anything, and it just feels like pointless. But I enjoy that kind of thing when you get in other character non key characters and have them have thoughts that don't necessarily have anything to do with the story, but are poignant and meaningful and would in terms of uh, they fit the character really well. And it's, it is an appropriate way for them to react, even if it doesn't serve the plot. I think it's interesting because uh, without spoiling too much uh, in later episodes, we get a switch of a character death, which is also different. Um, yeah. But, uh, but uh, I think that, it, you know, for, for Mikael's sake and all of our sakes, we get more of Joey Beatty. A solid change. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was really interesting that they're giving Yaskir a lot more agency, I think, than he has certainly, like, earlier in the books, where he really, you know, he's amazing, and I still, I love Dandelion, for the most part, sexism aside, but, like, he, he, he doesn't, he is kind of like the follower um, and the hype man, as opposed to, you know, having an active kind of plot role, and, yeah, it's really kind of interesting to see him as like a player on on the screen and a player who is making controversial choices you know who isn't just like purely i mean he is loyal to Geralt but he has his own calculations he's making decisions on other people's behalf and i he doesn't do yeah. that often in the in the books it's kind of like how they had to do that with Yennefer and and maybe this one is work has worked out a little better <laughs> you know what i mean like i mean obviously people have different views on the the way they changed Jennifer for season two, but that was something that that was more of an add on because it was more it, it took more creation, more imagination to do that, whether you liked it or not. Whereas this is just giving Jaskier more agency in the plot in the parts of the plot he was already involved in. Yeah, just one thing that like kind of stuck out to me is kind of like an an interesting adaptational change, and it's not a big thing at all. But like I can't remember exactly when Jaskier gets struck with an arrow in the books. Um, but I do remember that that scene is like very, like he is freaking out and like he cannot deal, and like it's it's a really interesting psychological thing because Geralt like can't figure out why he's so upset, and then he's realizing like oh this is a person who's never been injured in battle before, which is something that Geralt doesn't even notice when it happens to him because he's so common, yeah, <laughs> so yeah, so tri- it's a and, part of the trade, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and like I will I will say I like that better but i also don't know how they would have done it on screen you know like how i don't know how you get into his mind and be like wait a second i'm just i'm having this moment of deep empathy for a character you know um so it was i guess fun that they kind of had him take the arrow in in that in that scene I think I think that one thing that's particularly strong about a TV adaptation as well, and you know, I don't want to always reference Game of Thrones. But we always had these different POVs to kind of give us these different perspectives and 
you know, different looks into why characters are making the decisions that they are. And of course, when you read a book, it's different. But getting more screen time of a character for a character like Yaskier Dandelion is super important, especially, you know, with the theme of destiny, which we're talking about here. You know, Yaskier having more agency in his decisions, you know, changing and growing as a character and seeing more of that growth is certainly interesting and and, and awesome. We're going to see more of that, of course, without spoiling too much with Siri and other characters too, but it is it is really kind of awesome to see his POV as like one of the main POVs and kind of his character really starting to grow and get out there and interact with different characters, from, from, especially from the Kingdom of Rodania, which is a quite, they have some quite powerful players like we're seeing. So Speaking of Game of Thrones comparisons, the, the, in front of the statue, it was a totally uh, a, a Rhaegar Jorah Mormont moment there when he's like, Aileron fought bravely, Aileron fought nobly. <laughs> but, you know, then, then, then there's that, that line about getting a statue, you know, which is, that's, that's their own part, which I thought that was pretty well done. <laughs> when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And for th- for those of you that are watching or listening, let us know if you're enjoying Joey uh, Beatty's uh, performances Yaskier so far in season three. <laughs> as we continue to move on to discuss, do we want to continue on with Redania, or do we want to move on to our next point? Well, I don't know if I have anything else about Redania um, for now. It certainly, I think there's more of it in the coming episodes. episodes yeah. yeah, but I think for now it was just set up. What about the Beltane scene? That was uh, it was maybe you know it had its like like everything else, I guess it had it was it had its pluses and minuses here. I, I liked the the whimsy of it and the, the I thought it was fun to have the the so called climax of it happen in a maze, and I liked that Jennifer ran back the mask that she had from when they first met, and I liked the humor of would it kill you to say you know you look lovely and then he's you look lovely when he sees Jennifer <laughs> and that was all that was all pretty good, but also. It just they didn't like they were talking about how they're really conspicuous and they didn't go through like any effort to not be conspicuous and the actual fight was pretty boring you know there was he just kind of did one pivot and stab and it was over you know and how is that thing going to capture Siri they're trying to capture her not kill her like I don't I don't know yeah Reigns is a is a blunt instrument but somewhat less blunt than like an armadillo mega truck monster <laughs> I would have been dead in the first swipe I wouldn't have done what they did <laughs> but it's interesting too because we get we get we get those lovey moments between Geralt and Yennefer and you know Yennefer's really tried to get Geralt to give in and he's just standing there and he's like mm-hmm. I enjoyed all those times when we rode on that you know that carriage and they're talking about all the all the different places and the uni- they mentioned the unicorn <laughs> which yeah. is a good nod so the funny nod to, that the fandom will really like but uh, yeah I really enjoyed those tender moments too yeah I mean it's they're 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 ahead in the scene to begin with because it's Beltane and like any time it's like something in the Witcher is happening on Beltane it's like <laughs> Beltane. <Party. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
Wink, Mention wink, their wink. birthdays. Don't forget their birthdays. I, I really like Yarpin as like kind of like the fun uncle. Oh, let her have some fun. Like, you know what I mean? It's like let, let her yeah. like, let her drink, let her have some food. He's like, come on, guys, don't need to be so serious all the time. And then they go there, and the thing that yeah. Geralt is worried about actually happens. So it's like where suspicions are confirmed. Yeah. Honestly, yep. really, I mean, like uh, any anyone should have just come on <laughs> that. That maze, uh, yeah, it was a little. <laughs> it's like really, are you surprised? Um, I will say, in terms of Yarpin, like I do like him um, in the show, and I liked him in this episode, and I, I, I appreciate that they kind of take the um, kind of light commentary, pers- like position from him and the dwarves, um, but the commentary that he is responsible for in the book is so emotional and so like has so much pathos that like, and he has a lot to say. He is, he's like the alternative argument to Geralt's position on neutrality. And like, I would have really loved to have that, you know, be in there too. Also because like the, you know, the, the dwarves having racism against them has kind of been a little bit alighted in the show and like, it's kind of focused mostly on the elves and um, you know, that's, it's really important what we learn from him about like growing up as a dwarf and suffering, you know, discrimination. And Yeah. And it, and it makes it confusing in the fight because there are dwarfs Goyatel, but it's really hard to tell because you just, it's a bunch of people fighting and you don't know who half of them are or even less than that. So, like, having watched it twice, I'm like, that was a dwarf Scoia'tael. And I wasn't sure, or maybe a halfling or both. And I, I was on the lookout for that because we know that's the case in the books, obviously. It's a pivotal moment when, when one of those, when Polly Dahlberg pauses, hesitates, and it costs him his life when the Scoia'tael dwarf doesn't. And, yeah, so I totally agree with you, McCall. That was, a, that was an unfortunate loss of an important thing. Maybe they'll make up for it later. Uh, but I kind of, I kind of, kind of doubt it. I think they're going to use the, the Yarpin sparingly. And I feel like we may have already seen the last of him for this season, if not maybe for good, which would be an, a bummer. But I wouldn't be surprised if they just did that, you know, just because they've, they've uh, reduced his role pretty substantially, <laughs> you know. It's disappointing because he has one of the best speeches. It's like really powerful. Yeah. It's like, you know, helps you kind of put the chink into Geralt's armor about you know, the decisions to, you know, kind of go further, like, from breaking off from the, oh, we stay in the middle. But yeah, if you stay in the middle and you don't do anything that, you know, ultimately the decision is going to be made for you, friend. You know, so I think that that's a kind of a powerful thing. I think they, you know, they're going to, obviously later on we figure figure out more and Geralt's going to have to make a decision. Obviously they're in a more tough situation, but it, it is kind of, I agree with you guys. It is unfortunate that we didn't get that because the actor is fantastic. Like he's just funny and he's got great delivery and you know, they, they could have just could have taken, you know, a minute. They could have just slotted it and even made it shorter and it could have been still impactful. You know what I mean? And Geralt could have paused and thought about it and be like, you know what I mean? You could have saw his re- emotional reaction to it, but they just didn't add it. So ho- hopefully, fingers crossed, you know, they have, mo- like, things aren't, um, chrono- like, they have moves, things chronologically, like, you know, different short stories have been later on or earlier on, stuff like that. So we'll hold out for may- maybe a bigger moment from Yarpin and him getting involved more in the Yeah, story. yeah, it's definitely too soon to be sure that it won't happen. 
Yeah. And I mean, when you're adapting, you know, we all know this, like it's, it's basically the story is like a drain and the center is the, your main characters. So pretty much everything flows toward your main characters and minor characters get, you know, shafted, unfortunately, partly because that's just how it works. Um, but yeah, I think it, I thought it was worth, you know, mentioning. I think it, the the interesting thing enough too is is that they 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 did bring him back, which is a good thing. They didn't completely cut him out, which is encouraging. You know what I mean? And there are going to be bigger moments later on where things are getting more serious, where they could come back and have him be kind of like uh you know uh, someone that inspires people and uh, ultimately gives Geralt good advice because you know he is someone that has been recurring. So I'm I, I'm hopeful, and I think it's going to happen. So we'll see. But yeah. Another thing I'd like to point to that I thought was pretty strong, or at least is a is a good sign, and I thought I think there's more of it this year, and then there than in the first two seasons. Maybe I'm just not noticing it, or maybe I'm noticing it more now. Is that there's a lot more use of different storytelling styles within the season? Like there's more there's the montages, which I thought you know whether you liked the need for it or not, it was a good time to use a montage of them moving repeatedly and, and getting, uh, you know, settle, settling down and leaving repeatedly. I thought that, that that's a good time to use a montage and <laughs> if you're going to do it at all and for training and things like that, having multi, looking at things from different POVs, like later in the season, uh, the way they're using misdirection to make a certain character, a certain wizard seem like the bad guy until we reveal that it's somebody else. And, uh, a few other ones, I'm sure we can think of some other ones if we if we put our minds to it, but I didn't need to list them all. The point is that that's a big part of the books, is, is switching storytelling styles here and there, sometimes almost randomly. <laughs> but if you like that, if you, if you like that quirk, then you want more of it, and having it in this, this medium instead, I don't know, I like that. I, it works for me, at least is so far the way they've done it, and, and I, would, I would be down for continuing to push that envelope a little more. Would you say you enjoy the storytelling methods more in season three than season two? If I had to ask you. Yeah, I think I would. Yeah. I think it's um, stronger, right? Like I, I, I certainly feel that way, but I, it was just a tighter yeah. narrative too. Yeah. I mean, you have, I think uh, all the plot lines relate to each other more and that, that in, in part owes to the work they did in previous seasons. It's kind of like a lot of long term stories or a lot of epics. You, a lot of, sometimes the setup isn't the best part sometimes it is but the payoff you know this is more there's more payoff here even though there's we're still pretty early in the story but there is payoff can start to come because so much setup has been done in the first two seasons i think we've always looked forward to season three though like like all of us you know talk about the witcher privately together and we have our discussions about things we like and dislike and i think all of us were like you know season three is going to be a big season um you know like there's there's going to be a huge climactic moment, which ultimately changes all of the characters um, in their past and where they go. And I think that yeah, leading up to up to you know some some may call it the biggest moment um, or you know one, one of the top. I, I certainly think it's one of the top three moments in the story that we're going to see. Uh, I, I think that that's certainly the the way the storytelling is leading towards that is making me perhaps more excited about kind of where the threads are going in the season. Like I wasn't not to say that I didn't enjoy season two. I did. I'm just more invested. I think I'm more invested in season three's season three's story and how they're starting off and where it's leading and where I know it's leading. The uh, the actual fight itself, the ambush and double setup thing, was kind of 
similar to the books in some ways and, and different, very different in other ways, I guess you could say, like a lot of other plot lines in this show. They kept some of the, uh, the structure while changing a lot of the reasoning and, or at least, or who's doing the thing. And, you know, mixed results. I think some of it worked a lot. Like the idea of them not running, realizing they can't run anymore makes sense. Geralt saying, look, they, they know they're, they're going to be able to keep finding us. We can't, we'll never be able to hide. So we got to go after them. That, that makes sense. And, but the idea of, um, Yarpin agreeing to put all his people in this danger and use them as bait. I don't know about that. Uh, I don't know about, you know, Francesca just not using her magic in the battle at all, you know? And <laughs> and Geralt, like, surely he could have broken Rance's neck instead of his hands, right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> could have just killed him. Right, yeah. <laughs> but I also really liked other aspects to it. Like, when he sees the arrows fly through, and that's the reason he jumps back through the portal, he looks at the, the feathers on there. He's like, oh, those are elven arrows. Where, what the hell? Where are these elves? Where, like, when he jumps through the portal, there's no elves. So he, he realizes something horrible has happened. So that's, that's a really cool, subtle moment, as well as the equivalent where he looks through the framing shot where he looks through the bars so he can kind of figure out where he is to, to come back later and realize where he's at and or to show the audience that this is that same castle. And I also like how he overpowers people. It's funny, the battle was like backwards in a lot of ways. It was really impressive the way they filmed it. Uh, it was one long shot. But what, you, what I usually and what people often complain about with battles is that there's the, people get hit in a way that kills them when it, uh, they wouldn't be even close to dead. Or they make decisions, they stand there and doing nothing until the, uh, the main person attacks them, you know, the, the, the famous Chinese one-at-a-time fighting style that was, happens in so many kung fu movies also happens on a smaller scale in a lot of action films and, and TV shows. That wasn't bad here. They did that stuff well. Like, Geralt clashes swords with somebody, and they, they fall to the ground because he's so much stronger than them, and that is correct. It's, he's, he is that strong. <laughs> so... He's so precise as well in his movement. Like he knows, ex like he's going like for their like art. Like you notice, like in the choreography, he's like going right for their neck. Like that's the kill shot. They're dead after that. Like you know, he's not just like yeah. yeah. So that was good, and that's the stuff that they usually that usually shows and movies get wrong. And they did this. That that's the part they got right here. So you know, ultimately, I thought I, I give it a pretty high grade, even though some of the stuff made no sense. Like like the stuff thing about Francesca and how her. Oh, the other one was her. She he her brother grabs Siri. By the wrist, and Siri still is armed. Her, she has her sword in her other arm, like, and she's already taken out several people. And he's like, "I got her." It's like, "No, you don't," <laughs> you know. And then Geralt, then Geralt Girl kills can him. Stab. You know? <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> it's like he could, she could just cut you right now, you know. <laughs> do, do you like the the, the Sherlock Holmesy slow mo moments where they kind of where they you know slow mo and it sh like it shows Geralt like doing the kill? So I really like that actually. I think it's pretty interesting. Like, it's like, it feels like, oh, that's the witch. Like, you know, that's like a witcher moment. You know what I mean? I feel like those kinds of fight scenes, like they, they may, they may do them in other movies and stuff like that. But for me, it's like, oh, okay. That's like a witcher fight scene. Like we're going to get some slow-mo moments. We're going to get some cool moments like that. Spider-Man movies do that a lot where it, to him, it is slow motion. So you see it from his perspective. So it's kind of the same thing. Like Geralt isn't quite that, 
<laughs> fast or and nor does he like do jokes during it but <laughs> like spider-man does but it is yeah i think that's it's it's one i when i think of or like the matrix matrix i guess and they completely had to retreat i mean gerald is a one-man army <laughs> man like jeez <laughs> Yeah, that was a cool. It was a, it was a one shot too. Like the way like the way it was like weaving into it was like really cool. It was a really cool shot. One of the cooler shots of season. Yeah, I recommend the behind the scenes on that. That was. Is there a video cool. on YouTube for that? Yes, it's like a five minute him and uh, the stunt coordinator guy Wolfgang. I forget his name. I think that's. He was the same guy from season one. They brought him back, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's him again. Yeah, they talk about it. It's it's only yeah, like I said, it's only like five or six minutes. So yeah, look that up. It's it's worth. Me, it. I think Mikael could kill us both with a sword, personally. Her <laughs> <laughs> yeah, spice. I'm a... <laughs> I'll... Oh, sorry, I just got distracted because Netflix is just like coming July twenty seventh, a new episode of The Witcher on my phone. <laughs> nice timing. <laughs> yeah, the trailers have been really well shot. I, I watched it. I watched it twice today. And I'm like, yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> and then I was like, man, it's the twenty fifth already. It fl- like summer's flying by. So, yeah. So, did you guys think maybe this is too obscure, but? Uh, maybe we have, and I think that's what we're up to now. We're, we've, we've discussed all the main parts, the main plot lines. We can just talk about a few random thingies that, that we haven't covered. Um, for example, I love that great shot of Roach, you know, with the backlighting. I don't, it was just kind of random, but it was, it just, it was cool, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, and then there was, uh, the, did you guys think Gallatin was maybe like a nod to the Iron Wolf character, Eisengrim, you know? There's even the betrayal. He gets betrayed like late in the, in the books as well. So I don't know. Uh, he, he had a scar too, but a lot of guys have scars. Like half the characters have scars. So that's not really necessarily a big tell. <laughs> uh, Interesting. We'll I, think, I think he might just be more of the like, if, if we're going to pay attention to the tile, we need a face to like even yeah that, that makes sense yeah. i think with amir amir being moved up early they had to give him some more juice you know what i mean okay yeah yeah that makes sense i liked the siri teaching yennefer ice skating they really leaned into the like perfect moment vibe with like that was a commercial where they're like her smile and her laughing it was like they should a product should have a name should have appeared over that you know like some sort of <laughs> what are you selling here <laughs> yennefer <laughs> but also it sets up you know ice skate siri on ice skates is like ooh yeah let's oh i know what you're saying yeah well hopefully you know uh, Geralt uh, you know what I mean he only broke his hands this time but uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and there's a I appreciated the quick mention of Sir Laszlo who was the the knight that was protecting Siri until Cahir shot him uh, in, you know, oh yeah I'm the, yeah that was who that was yeah <laughs> yeah you're riding on horses arrows are pretty dangerous huh yep yep <laughs> <laughs> don't take an arrow to the knee but to the neck is even worse I, I appreciated the opening scene. It's it's almost straight from the books, uh, right down to giving the professor blue glasses. And it, the difference was that, the, you know, the professor is one of the three fighters instead of just a, a dude who talks. That's a pretty small change. Talks and, and gets in the book, killed. Of course it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the book, we don't actually see the fight. It's Applegat's POV, you know, the, the messenger. Mm. And he's just in the bar and the professor walks in and everybody's like, yikes, that's the professor and uh, Haimo and uh, the other person whose names I forget. And they're like, 
he's afraid to go. Everybody's afraid. So they go outside and face Geralt and there's, it's over really quickly, just like it is here. And, <laughs> and then he's like, he, Geralt storms in and is, is yell, yells very loudly that I want them to know who did it because he's trying to draw Rians out. So it's the similar kind of. But Applegat's yeah. <laughs> knew when he saw Geralt, he's like, yeah, this is over, man. <laughs> yes. Like that dude looks angry, you know, and that's, which is from, from, he has no idea, but from a reader and a perspective, it's like, oh, Geralt usually isn't angry, but Geralt spends a lot of, of, of that book, of this book angry. <laughs> for good reason. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for good reason. Things get rough in time of contempt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, the word contempt is pretty contemptuous, wouldn't you say? <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 you're really on to something. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, should we talk about our funny moments? Are we up to that part now? Uh, did we miss any of our non-funny moments? Because it's usually what we do last. Yeah, let's do it. I think we got pretty much everything. Okay. Well, the, I'll start with one that is is a good segue from the what we often do with our book coverage is, is we, we occasionally do the humorous mistake made by the transcription software. Well, in this case, if you have your subtitles on, you might have seen when Siri got to Beltane and she was so happy to be amongst other people and at a party, she said, gods, I've missed this. But the subtitles actually said, cods, I've missed this. The, so the, like, the fish, the fish have missed she it. She really, yeah, the fish <laughs> are still getting in there yet again. She's like, oh, I really need some fish, you know. <laughs> Sorry, I was going to say uh, the the boulder parchment, uh, parchment dagger was a <laughs> cool, cool not to rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> yeah, instead of rock, paper, scissors. That was really good, and the and the context for that too, where where they're just like they're tr- trading off like who's gonna do this awful spy thing, you know? Like we'll rock this boulder parchment parch- dagger for it. Like oh. <laughs> that's kind of that's pretty funny. Uh, or when Radovid calls Philip a pip. <laughs> that was really that good. was great. Yeah, she's Her like, reaction like a, to that was she's... like pip. <laughs> <laughs> and a woman with a strong presence, just like man, do you really want to piss her off? Like, dude, she's one of the most powerful sorceresses there is, dude. Chill. Chill. <laughs> uh, uh, Yennefer, like, in one of her letters, the which, by the way, the, fa- the, the, the dear friend is a good example of them taking something from the book. And, you know, it's not at all like the way they did it, use it in the book. But it is at least a letter from, you know, in this case, multiple letters back and forth. But... Anyway, she says, she makes this line, she says, things keep coming at us fast and furious. And it was like, are you making a fast and furious joke? Because it was wrapped up in, like, them talking about their found family, which is, like, the big theme of Fast and the Furious movies. <laughs> so, I, that might have been, like, them being silly there. But I, I hope that wasn't, you know, earnest. <laughs> it'll, it'll end with, like, you don't need wings. Yeah. What was your favorite uh, funny moment, uh, Mikael? I mean, I honestly, like, I just found it funny with the entry into Dear Friend because they know how much, obviously, that means and what readers are bringing to it. But, uh, yeah, uh, uh, what's his name? Vizimir, the king? Just his perpetual idiocy and the, like, oh, we didn't kill that baby, did we? Like, that is just, oh, man. He's always aloof. He's always like, oh, oh. And he's just sarcastic and 
assholey about it too. You know what I mean? He's just like, he's the king, I guess. Yeah, it's very much like I enjoy that they're doing the like everyone around him can have a personality. He's just an asshole. Like you don't have to feel anything. It's fine. I I, I do love when yet Jennifer was leaving the letters and like kind of slamming them in. It's like oh, but it's also kind of funny because it was like you know there's like this tension and then Gerald grab he like opens his door. He's like yeah, he's like grabbing them. I just find it super funny, even though they're like right next to each other. You know what I mean? They're communicating. So it is, so it is kind of funny. There's this tension. There's the letters, and obviously the you know it's serious because they're trying to mend their relationship. But it is funny because like you know the, the, their relationship does have like really funny moments and stuff too. So like the for them to kind of lean to, into that was great. Yeah, and it's it's sweet that it it resolves with him putting it in her bedroll, the the last uh, letter. Yeah, I I liked that. I liked the uh, the montage joke at the beginning when he they you they reuse the trope that is in every fantasy or medieval show ever where the amount of money in the bag is the exact right amount without anyone ever having <laughs> to count it or know in advance. And it is very often clearly isn't a bag of coins. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's like something else is in there because it doesn't Some hang nuts, like maybe. a bag of coins at all. Yeah, like Geralt, multiple times Geralt's like, he hands someone a bag of money and is like, for your discretion. And when it comes to, when they go to Yarpin, Yarpin's like, and I expect payment for my discretion. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how they always drop it on the table too. It's like it's always like that in fantasy. You got to hear the clink, got to hear the cling of the coins on the table to make it sure that you know that it's coins, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I-, I like too the um, the recycling of the of Vespula and that plot line and that little scene, you know, with. That was really cool because they right down to like she doesn't have a crossbow up there, does she? Like that's right from from the book, <laughs> except it's Geralt saying it instead of Philippa. So that's an odd, uh, you know, piece uh, situation to have Philippa use have one of Geralt's lines. Like you wouldn't expect that one. Maybe it's like maybe Yaskier say something that Yennefer says or Siri says something that Geralt says, but Philippa says something that Geralt says is like hmm, that's cool. Well, they've they've done a good job there. I also really like the representation of open relationship they, you know, with Vispul and Yaskier and the dynamic of that. Like people, people obviously think, uh, like Yaskier is getting kicked out of the house. You know what I mean? But then there's a lot more to it. You know what I mean? Like it's like a a, a bard and a lovely lady have this relationship. This uh, quite curious, <laughs> but she, but she, but she certainly knows about Yaskier's quirks. Apparently, right? So she's <laughs> she's accept she's accepting of 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 them. <laughs> The detail of the loot being the only important thing. Like, yeah, just don't hurt the loot. (laughs) Don't hurt the loot. Yeah. Yeah. They just really leaned into it. They're like, we're not just going to have Philippa in this scene instead. And we're instead of Geralt, we're going to have Radovid come in here as well. And he'll catch the loot. And that'll be, yeah. (laughs) And he's observing all of it like. This is really this is really dumb, but funny. You know what I mean? He's like, he's like, like laughing at Yaskier that he's uh, deserving, deservingly uh, getting the whip. (laughs) <laughs> another another great line from uh from yarpin was you should wear a wig they're not looking for the black wolf which <laughs> we were just saying that regarding <laughs> the belting like yeah wear a wig man you're so like he doesn't even hide his witcher medallion like put that under your shirt at least <laughs> he's like really trying to tell him like man like 
you're a huge dude. You've got white hair. You got a witcher medallion, and you got like the the eyes of a witcher. You think they're they're not going to find you? Like it's just so funny. <laughs> Uh, the only other line I have that I took note of, unless I missed something in my notes here, is the when another one by Yarp, and he says, "Hold up, Buttercup," <laughs> which I'm like, "Hey, is that a nod to the actual translation of Jaskier? Because it's Buttercup it instead of Dandelion." Yeah. <laughs> Sneaky, sneaky. So that's that, that, coming back to what I said about faithful versus loving adaptations, like. The those kind of details, like the professor having blue glasses and a, a nod to Buttercup, like those are not things you don't. Those aren't things you put in unless you're aware of them, and you're only aware of those things if you're like a pretty big fan. You know, like I don't think you catch those. You don't know those things from having a surface level understanding of the series. So while we can disagree with some of their interpretations and adaptations, I don't think there's much doubt that that like that weird news item going around that some of the writers don't even like the the, the books. I, I, I don't think that was true. <laughs> I think that was just an exaggeration uh, of maybe they didn't like certain parts or certain aspects of it. You know who doesn't like Star Wars? Tony Gilroy. Tony Gilroy <laughs> yeah, he made wrote Andor. Andor. Yeah. So. so, yeah, even if you're right. So even if it is true, it doesn't mean they can't do a really good job. I felt season three's <laughs> writing was particularly strong. You know what I mean? It's yeah. Javier Grill, I cannot remember pronounce his last name, but Grillo Marchoir or something like that um, is on staff also, and he's amazing. He's, he's like a, a genre staple, and he's, yeah, wonderful. So yeah, that will do it for our coverage of episode one of season three of The Witcher. If you made it this far, thank you very much for watching. We certainly appreciate that. Of course, if you did enjoy this, you can check out more episodes of our podcast. We've got a giant playlist on YouTube for the YouTube versions. You can see us, all of our lovely faces on screen, but we also have a fantastic podcast, Anchor.fm. We've got a brilliant playlist on there. We have uh, book coverage and also show coverage, so if you're someone who's looking to get into The Witcher books and you want to read them, we have uh, base, basically most of the first two books covered and uh, yeah we're getting into more and more as we go along we have I believe 20 some episodes now so get into that I'll put the link in the description of the video for those of you who want to go check that out and I will also put the links in the description of the video for these two lovely people they also create content as well but I'll let you I'll let them tell uh, you all about that so yeah C content creators we have here <laughs> what kind of content creation is going on for you Aziz well, I am uh, still working the things over at History of Westeros, and we are getting ready to do a Valyrie Redis for Fire and Blood. So that is just getting started in a couple of weeks as of this recording. So that's fun. That'll be the majority of my uh, Song of Ice and Fire podcasting for the next several months. So looking forward to that. It's a great book and looking forward to covering it. For those of you who are into House of the Dragon or want to get into it, definitely want to go check out those videos. Nice. Usually do your uh, streams on Sunday, correct, Aziz? Yep, you got Excellent. it. And uh, Miguel. Sorry, I have to say this. If only you had another book to... <laughs> wasn't it like the 12 year anniversary or something like the other yeah, day yeah. of yeah, House of Dragons? I think it was July 12th. Oh, yeah. Anyway. I'm just not going to make a comment about that. I just <laughs> <laughs> Ironically, the Hollywood writer strike will probably give George more time to write his 
you know, book. <laughs> so, but we'll see about that. <laughs> he was going to do that anyways, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. He's yeah. on his own terms, man. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I'm on a couple podcasts. I'm on this podcast. I'm on a podcast called Levels of an Access, um, where I think we are maybe talking about Secret Invasion, although I'm not really watching that. I also have a show called Nice Jewish Fangirls that hasn't updated in a while, but we might go back to that soon-ish. And I'm also on Twitter for now. I don't know. I've said that like a million times. So it's not even called that anymore. Oh God! <laughs> I, I don't even want to. I can't even with that. But what I what I do want what I do want even to get into is I want Mikau. Please say you're covering Ahsoka. I oh, I'm uh, sure we'll be covering Ahsoka. Yeah. Okay, cool. I want to collaborate with you on that because I will be covering it, and I'm like, this is the mo- like Ahsoka is my favorite Star Wars character other than Obi Wan, so I'm like really excited. Yeah. And if you want to find me online, I-N-K-A-S-R-A-I-N. Gazrain is usually my handle on various places, wherever you end up. In the, in the description of the video, go click and be nice or else. Yennefer will send daggers after you. No, just kidding. Thanks for thanks for coming, everyone. We're really excited to be back. Uh, there will be more episodes. So this is episode one. Like I said, we will be going um, over all of the episodes of season uh, three and part one and two of The Witcher. So yeah, be on the lookout for those. And uh, if you did enjoy this, feel free to subscribe, leave a comment, and let us know what you enjoyed about these episodes. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have yourselves a lovely day. Cheers. <laughs>